Hola amigos, bienvenidos al tiempo de alabanza a Dios Padre y Jesucristo Espíritu Santo con nuestra familia de Heritage. Hello friends, welcome to this time of worship um, with our Heritage family. We're so grateful that we can worship Father, Son, and Spirit together. We want to shout out and say hello to all of our guys at the Kiwani Life Skills Reentry Center. Hang in there and please know that we are praying for you. And you know, we're praying for all of you who are connecting with us in this virtual way. Um, we are praying that God would continue to give you strength and wisdom and grace to navigate the challenges of this season. Um, we are excited to worship together, and so I just want to invite you wherever you are to go ahead and just lean in to what God has for you in our moments together. Let's worship. Allow the words from Psalm 66 to speak to your soul. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious ways. Let the whole world bless our God and sing loudly his praises. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. Friends, as we continue to lean into Easter season, we have opportunity right now to celebrate all that Jesus has accomplished and to remember that God will never withdraw his unfailing love from us. And so let's lift our voices together and sing praise to our King Jesus.
Jesus and posture ourselves saying, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this space. We welcome you in our homes and in our families, and we surrender it all to you. And we're about to declare that God is worthy. He's worthy of all the praise, honor, and glory. And we're going to participate in something together that we don't normally do. And it's, we're going we're gonna to pray scripture together as a corporate prayer, as one body from many living rooms, dining room tables. We're gonna declare this truth together. Would you pray this verse with me? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, 
they were created and have their being. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.
Would you pray with me? Father, worthy is your name. You are worthy of all of our praise, all of the glory and honor and power. Father, we say that whatever we're holding on to, we surrender to you. Because your ways are higher than our ways and your will is greater. So our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence? Sharpen our minds so that we can discern your truth. Shape our wills so that we can desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, everybody said, amen. Hey friends, so great to spend a few moments again together and I wondered if you wouldn't be willing to do something with me as we get started. I think it might be fun, also help us in our conversation. What I wanna do if you're willing is to invite you to hold your breath, not yet, but in a moment I wanna invite you to hold your breath. If you don't, you don't have to do this, but if you're willing, I want you to hold it as long as you can and when you need to stop, go ahead and stop. I don't want you to pass out, don't need you falling over where you're at. Just wanna take a moment to create space to hold your breath. So if you're willing right wherever you're at, I wanna go ahead and invite you now to breathe in a deep breath and hold it. All right, keep holding as long as you can. See, we all know that we need air to survive. We, we know without it, our system starts to shut down. We can pass out. There can actually be damage that takes place within our body. It's, it's serious business. We know we all need air. And if you're still holding your breath, you're beginning to feel the reality of holding it. I hope you're still doing okay. See, anytime if you've ever gotten on a commercial airline flight, you've heard a flight attendant give instructions around specific emergencies and crises. Uh, Exits, seat belts, flotation devices, all of those instructions are given for us to handle difficulties and emergencies. There's a, a safety card that goes along with those instructions that help us understand what to do in crisis. And again, if you're still holding your breath, good job. If you need to stop, go ahead and stop. But what I want you to understand is that anytime we have decent plans, we have great ideas or great intentions or best hopes in the midst of crisis, under pressure, we tend to react. Under pressure in any environment, we tend to act, react. Even with the greatest intentions, even with the best plans, we can react. And the truth is, in life, we face pressure. And that pressure can cause us to react instead of responding in healthy ways. If you've been holding your breath, go ahead and let it go. You're done, you don't need to hold it any longer, good job. See, when, when I was in the military, we often referred to an idea or a statement that we regularly just acknowledge, that a plan never survives first contact with the enemy. Often found that reality just to be true. And it ties back to the conversation for us today that in the face of being deprived of something, in the face of need, in the face of conflict, under that pressure, we react and we can choose poorly. We can actually make decisions we wish we hadn't made, make decisions that we often just simply regret. And I just wanna acknowledge for those of you that are still holding your breath to see if you can go longer than everybody else, you win, you're done, you can actually stop for real now. <laughs> see, it was last week that we had a bit of a conversation. We talked about the need to intentionally choose to respond over reacting. That in the space between now and next is an opportunity to choose, to choose to respond instead of react. What we do in the space between, whether no matter what we're experiencing now, what we do in responding or reacting in that particular choice de really determines and shapes what we experience next. And although it's really easy to react, the opportunity and the invitation for us, especially as followers of Jesus, is to choose to respond, to be very intentional in responding to the opportunities he gives us. Now you can see that conversation online at heritageqc.com. Get on there, check it out if you want to. 
But I think it's helpful to remember that in spaces of pressure, in spaces of crisis and conflict and challenge, maybe it's the loss of a job, maybe it's financial stress, maybe just boredom or any disruption in life, how we come out on the other side next is directly related to how we handle the moment now, our choice to respond or to react. And we never want to forfeit what we want most simply for what we want now. In fact, I just want to encourage you, don't forfeit what you want most for what you want now. That can play out in your personal lives. That can play out in any other dynamics, big or small, public or private. It may, may even be playing out in your marriage right now and you're tempted to choose something in the immediate that will actually compromise what you want long term. It could be something just within your reputation, maybe in areas of plans and dreams in your life. Don't forfeit what you want most for what you want now. That is short-sighted. It is always a place uh, that is costly and often a place of regret. No matter what the circumstances are and what we choose, it's a difficult place to go. In fact, we don't actually have to forfeit what we want most. We're positioned as the people of God to forfeit for something better. We're, we're positioned to forfeit for something more when we choose to be selfless. When we choose to be a people who don't just look to our own interests but to the interests of others. Being selfless. Now, again, to be selfless is not diminishing. Uh, to be selfless is not devaluing in any way. It's actually holding a proper understanding of who we are as image bearers of the Most High God, but also honoring that image in ourselves and in those around us. The posture of being selfless is both honoring it in us and in others. And although we can demonstrate selflessness in lots of different ways at its core, at its core base realities is simply choosing to be like Jesus. To be someone who looks not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That's actually something that we find as an invitation and even a directive in the book of Philippians. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. But in Philippians chapter 2, we find words that clearly call us to a posture of selflessness. Here's what it says, Philippians 2, starting with verse 3. Check this out. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. That's a good thing to do, but often hard for us if we're honest. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. It's both and. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, there's a lot in there. And it sounds okay, and it may even sound reasonable, but it can be incredibly difficult and hard to actually live out, especially in a culture that often prioritizes our pursuit of our personal rights, uh, the ability to pursue, to pursue happiness so over any other thing in life. It can be hard for us to lean into it, but as Christians, we know we're called to be selfless, and we may talk about it a lot, but I'm going to tell you, sometimes we struggle to do it. We struggle to do it, and we may even be doing it the wrong way. So let's look at this in a very practical expression. I said earlier that when, if you've ever boarded a uh, commercial airline flight, you have heard the safety briefing. This safety card gives instructions around exits and flotation devices, but it also gives some instructions around one other thing. And it's what to do in the case of the loss of cabin pressure. Because when pressure changes on an airline flight, something happens. The, the shift and change in pressure causes a reality. And in a season of lots of different masks, this particular mask is different. It's different than what we would normally see in day-to-day -day life, but it's the one we see on airlines. This is not technically an official airline mask because apparently they frown on removing those from aircrafts. Who knew? But this is very similar in design and it functions the same way. And it can help us as we continue in our particular conversation today. You see, every time we board that commercial airline flight, we hear a safety briefing that describes what to do in the loss of cabin pressure, what describes what to do with the mask and gives very specific instructions and priorities for how we use the mask. Have you heard, if you've flown, do you remember what they say? You recall what the instruction is? It's about priority. They say that we are to put the mask on ourselves first. 
It's, it's a sense of establishing priority. To stop doing what we're doing in a particular space and to put the mask on ourselves first. It's not self-elevating, it's actually self-positioning. To not only care for ourselves, but to be able to care for others. It's not every man and woman for themselves in that dynamic. It's about efficiency and effectiveness. And it's ultimately about positioning ourselves to be not only able to care for ourselves, but to care for those around us. Stop doing what we're doing and to put the mask on first. Now, there are actually a few ways to do this wrong, to, to put the mask on in a way that we're not supposed to do. The, the first actually, or to respond in a way we're not supposed to do, the first is not to put the mask on at all, on ourselves or somebody else. And in that case, everybody loses. The second way to not do this right or to do it wrong is to put the mask on ourselves first and then not turn and help and assist anybody next to us. In that case, that's sad and, and, it, and it's selfish. The third way to do it wrong, though, is to actually turn and put the mask on the person next to us first. And I get for some, particularly parents, that's hard to think about. That's actually hard to do. I get it. But if we, as individuals who can help, are incapacitated in the process of helping, we're not able to help our child. We're not able to help our loved ones. The invitation to not just care for ourselves, but to care for others, and the priority of putting this mask on ourselves first, positions us to be people who don't just look to our own interests, but actually look to the interests of others. It's not self-elevating, it's self-positioning. But I wonder if you could imagine a scenario in your world where you wouldn't put this mask on at all. I don't think you would. Again, I think there are some parents, grandparents, maybe even the moms that we celebrated last week, who will struggle with the priority of putting a mask on themselves before putting it on their child. I understand. I, I get the complexity. But even after taking care of their child, if they're still alert and capable, they would put the mask on themselves. We all want the mask. We all want the space of being able to thrive and being able to survive. And that's the reality of not looking only to our own interests, but also looking to the interests of others. So here's why this is important. Because Jesus did the very same thing for us, and he calls us to do the same thing for others. And the way he did it is captured in the very next part of Philippians chapter 2. Let's go back to look at this for just a moment. This is starting with verse 6. It says that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, the scriptures go on from there to talk about how God elevated Jesus out of that. And, and I just want to hold at verse 8 for a moment because there's a lot to unpack here. But, but I really just want to highlight one thing. What Jesus did, what's described here, what he modeled for us is laying down of his rights and taking up the cross. A laying down of his rights and, and picking up his responsibilities, the things that that God had instructed him to do in this particular dynamic. And as a result of his example, we're called to do the same. We're called to lay down our rights and pick up our responsibilities as God directs and instructs us in how we are to live. We, again, we can do that in big and small ways, public and private. We can do it when we're celebrated, but also supposed to do it even if we're criticized. It's the space of actually choosing not just our own interests, but the interests of others and laying down our rights and picking up our responsibilities. We can do it as parents, maybe do it as a spouse, do it as a friend or even as a boss. We're positioned to lay down our rights and pick up our responsibilities so that God can work and move in our lives as he sees fit. Now, before you decide if you agree or not with what I'm saying in this space, I just want to clarify the reality that if you don't follow Jesus today, what I'm saying to you is an invitation, not a requirement. That if you're willing to step in a relationship with God, the invitation is to be someone who lives like Jesus, laying down your rights and picking up responsibilities so that God can do incredible things in and through you. However, if you're someone who does follow Jesus, 
what I'm speaking to you about, what we're looking at today is not optional. It's required. It's already predetermined for how we're supposed to live. Unless we're no longer going to follow him, we're no longer going to give him authority, then in any given moment we can just do whatever we want. But if we are going to follow him, how we live is already decided. And we are supposed to have the same attitude and posture that he did. And he, him, him who is the epitome of selflessness, that's who Jesus is. See, in, in the manger, in, in the cradle, Jesus laid down his deity to identify with us in humanity. But then in return, what he did next is that he laid down his life to create a way for us to be rescued and redeemed on the cross, through the cross. See, in both dynamics, the cradle and the cross, Jesus set aside his rights for our good. He set aside his rights for our gain as he picked up the responsibilities and the instructions, the commands that God had given him. And he gave up those rights. <laughs> he gave up his right not to die so you and I can actually live. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. He actually highlights this, and it's captured in the book of John. John chapter 10. You can flip over there if you have a Bible, but let's just take a look. John 10, starting with verse 17. It says this, that the, the Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Christ-like selflessness, a selflessness that's modeled by Jesus, is a life of laying down and picking up. It's a space of, of releasing and, and laying hold. It's, it's letting go of self to lay hold of Him, to lay hold of His purpose and plan in our lives as we live and move and have our being. It's doing one thing now, for something else next. It's investing in the space of today for what can be tomorrow. It's a, it's a very unique dynamic, but if we're following him, if we're someone who actually sits in a space of submitting to his authority in our lives, then we're positioned in our daily choices to lay down and to pick up, laying down rights and picking up responsibilities. And we do that in how we live. We do that as we interact with people as we talk with people. We can, we can do that in a space where we intersect with folks and maybe it's tense, you know, with a shopping cart or in a car or in a conversation. These are spaces that we need to choose to be selfless so that we can experience the fullness of Jesus at work within us, letting go and laying hold for His purpose and glory. We model Christ-like selfishness every time that we lay down our rights and we pick up our responsibilities to care for other people, just as God instructs us. So here's the deal. In reality, how you and I respond to Jesus really determines how he responds to us. How we respond to Jesus determines how he responds to us. And I want to be really clear. I'm not saying how we respond to Jesus determines how he loves us. I'm not talking about love. He loves us fully. He loves you fully. He cannot love you more or less. He fully loves you. But, how you and I respond to Jesus actually determines how he can respond to us, what he can do in our lives, how he can work and move, and how he can step into spaces that we need his power at work within us. It's linked to our willingness to obey and to follow directives. That's, that determines how much he can facilitate in our lives. So how we respond to him determines how he responds to us. It shapes what he can and can't do in our lives. And we're willing to elevate him. When we're willing to make more of him, we're willing to embrace him more and ourselves less, <laughs> well, that's when he does even more. In and through us as a people, just as God did in him and through him as Jesus the Son. How you and I respond to Jesus determines how he responds to us. And you know, I think at the core of this particular conversation we're having, is that it's simply about priority and authority. It's about who comes first and who has the right to tell us how to live. It's about authority and priority. It's a question about the authority of Jesus, what role it has in our lives as we navigate now and next, as we choose in the space of responding and reacting, as we choose in how we invest for our own wellness, but also for the good and wellness of those around us.
and in our lives, His authority should position us to lay down rights and to pick up responsibilities so that He can do even more. If I'm honest, I'll tell you, I don't always do this well. I have made mistakes and I have missed the mark in my journey with Him. Sometimes I really try not to react and I still react. Sometimes I really try to balance not only myself but those around me. And one of the things I love about our God is that even when we fall short, He gives us another chance. He gives us another opportunity to respond to Him, to choose to respond and not simply react. And in that space, we begin to understand and live out the reality that selflessness is asking where in our lives, where in your life can or should you look to the interests of others and not just your own. See, this life is not just about us. It's about His purpose and plan. It's about loving those around us. So selflessness is, is asking where in your life you can look to the interests of others and not just your own. And we're in a season where we have tons of opportunity to care about the wellness of others, uh, to, to be selfless in our choices as we navigate stay-at-home realities, as we make decisions around PPE and personal protection and social distancing. Each of those dynamics and how we choose to respond to others and even care for others in these dynamics, that's all part of the equation of not just looking to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's both and in the kingdom of God. It's both us and others in following Jesus. And that's actually where some of us need to start in understanding where we're not engaging fully. For some of you, you're not engaging fully around even your self-care, about taking time just to be prepared and healthy. You haven't taken time to put your own mask on. And so your position today to spend time with your Heavenly Father, to spend time intentionally in self-care dynamics. Very few people want to be selfish. Most of the time when we're selfish, it comes out of the space of pressure. Under pressure, we tend to react. That's where we're tempted to forfeit what we want most for what we want now in any given moment. Under pressure, we tend to react, and we also tend to choose ourselves. That's not inherently bad, though. It can be selfish if it doesn't translate to others, if it, all it is is choosing us, if all it is is putting our own mask on and not helping anybody else around us. That actually ends up not being all that healthy. But when we choose to invest in healthy ways for ourselves, and it ultimately translates to what it means for others and helping others, well, that's good and healthy. When we invest in any self-care for ourselves that doesn't translate to somebody else, it's incomplete. And it puts us in a space where we can end up being simply selfish in our lives. Because whenever we step in an incomplete way in the area of care for ourselves but not the care of others, we're missing the mark in following how Jesus lived himself. In fact, we know that we're called to love other people, and we want to love people well. And the way that we can do that is because we know that Jesus loved us well. He demonstrated his love for us on the cross. In 1 John 3, we know that we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters because he gave up his life for us. That's the opportunity to be selfless. So, here's the thing for me, for you, for us today. When the pressure comes in life, when the pressure changes, what will you do? When the emergency mask drops in your life, how will you respond? In those spaces, be really careful not to forfeit what you want most for what you want now. Don't react. Choose to respond in a way that is selfless. In a world of lots of pressure, pressure to perform, pressure to be perfect, pressure to do more, to be better, there's lots of pressure. In those spaces, though, we get to choose. And we can choose to respond. We can either be selfish or selfless. But in a space where Jesus calls us, we're positioned not only to care for ourselves, which is part of it, but to also look to the interests of others. And that takes an intentional choice for many of us to move forward. And we need understanding this reality, that when we claim to have a belief in something, it's really aspirational until we choose it under pressure. You and I can say we believe things, but it's proven when we make the choice to live it out under pressure. So when the pressure comes in your life in this season, and it will and it has, how will you respond? How will you choose not only yourself, but those around you, investing in ways for their good and for the glory of God? You know, as you continue to process this conversation and what it means for you, I want to invite you to listen to the story of Jenny. This is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we as a church, we care about you, body, mind, and spirit. And in this particular season, mental health can be challenging because of all the pressures, because of all the unique dynamics. 
So as you continue to process where the Lord is asking you to respond and not react, where He's asking you to not just invest in yourselves, but look to the interests of others, I want to encourage you to listen to Jenny's story, and hopefully my prayer is that you will find it as an encouragement as you continue to process your own journey. So check this out. in high school, I dealt a lot with um, depression. I did a lot of self-harm in high school, just felt really alone, sad, not wanted, um, felt like I wasn't enough, like I wasn't good enough. Like I just woke up every day wanting to die. Came up with thought of different ways of how to end it. Not because I wanted to like end my life, but I wanted those negative feelings and ideas to end. Um, I can't really explain why I have depression. It just affects me. Um, and at that time, I felt like I didn't really have anyone to talk to. I didn't want to burden anyone else. I started getting back on the right track after I went to counseling. Um, started thinking better about myself, starting getting more positive, but I felt like something was still missing. Um, my senior year came around and I got into this relationship and he didn't go to church or anything like that. And we dated for about a year and things didn't end very well. And that's when I went back into my depression. I was going to grad school at the time and I didn't even want to do my homework. Like I, it took everything in me to just get up off the couch and like go make myself some food or take a shower. My friend and coworker at Jefferson, Hannah May, uh, she was like, hey, you know what? Like, why don't you just come to Heritage? And so I did. Ever since I stepped through the doors, like God just knew what I needed at that point in my life, that I needed to be reconnected with him, that I needed to build my relationship with him. Like I had talked to Justin and we were talking about like our past history, like my depression, my suicide attempt, self-harm. And he talked to me about be being saved. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like maybe in a few months, that next weekend, uh, after one church service, it was a Saturday night. I can just remember the feeling of like, this is it. Um, I saw Justin in the lobby at the Bettendorf campus and I was like, it's time. And he called over his wife, Jesse, and they prayed over me and I was saved that night. I got baptized last summer at the river and I haven't looked back since because this is me making a public commitment to not only others, but to God and myself that this is where I wanna be with the rest of my life that no matter what happens, no matter if I make mistakes or think badly of myself or don't think I'm enough, I'm enough in Him. And that's all that matters. Like, He truly has changed my heart for the better. I mean, I still have bad days. I don't know why I have depression. I don't want it. I don't like it. I didn't have a traumatic childhood but I know that no matter what, I can always turn to God. He is my father, he's my best friend. If I can't be completely vulnerable and honest with him, who can I be? Looking back on my past, like God had his hand on everything. It's his story. And like just sitting and realizing, like having an epiphany of like how much he has changed me. Like I would not be able to do this alone. There's no way because of God showing me his love and compassion every day when I didn't think I deserved it. That changed not only my mind, but my heart. And now I'm blessed that I have a story that I get to share with people and tell them that they're not alone. They're not alone. My name is Jenny Yancey and this is my resurrection story.
I'm so thankful for Jenny's story and the courage that she had to share that with us. You know, we are going to continue here in worship in just a moment. But before we do, again, I want to celebrate what God has done in and through Jenny's life and how she responded to Jesus and saw him work in power and authority, moving her from hopelessness into hope. It's awesome. And God is continuing to do that in many spaces and places in and through the Heritage family together. May, as you may be aware, is actually National Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's a really helpful reminder to know that we are not alone. In fact, studies show that many of us struggle with mental health. And I think it's more of us in this season than ever before as we deal with unique challenges and pressures of this time. So if you need help, you can reach out at any time using some of the resources we're about to share with you here. All of these will be listed at heritageqc.com, where you can go and find them at any time. You can check out the National Suicide Hotline. That number should be right on the screen right now, and you can save that in your cell phone and call it at any time. Share it with loved ones who you know might be struggling. We also want to encourage you to text 741741 anytime that you're feeling like you might be in crisis. That is a text exchange where you will be connected with a trained mental health professional. It's all free. And again, it's a great way to remember that you are not alone in these days. We encourage you to check out the National Association for Mental Illness, NAMI.org, and uh, their local chapters here in these cities, as well as connecting with us directly at heritageqc.com, sending us an email, or calling our prey with a pastor line. If you have been joining us watching on television, we want to say thank you. It has been so great for us to connect with you in these ways as you change your living space into sacred space with us. We want to continue to journey with you and connect with you in all kinds of amazing ways, from uh, virtual learning groups to connection with pastors and even connecting with us through email and other conversations. So we encourage you, head over to heritageqc.com and you can find all kinds of ways to connect with us, sign up for our newsletter, and be kept up to date in what God is doing in and through the Heritage family. Now, I really appreciated how Pastor Sean reminded us of how important it is to respond to Jesus and what he is calling us to and doing. And so this next song, as we continue in worship, is really a declaration of what it means for us to respond to Jesus with a pure heart, passionate about chasing after him. So join us as we continue to sing. Take everything 
Todo lo que viene de 